Return to the Lord, that's what we're talking about, and this is kind of like a, uh, a final in, in one part of this Return to the Lord series, but then we're going to move on to something I think is which is the next step, but Return to the Lord is what we're talking about, coming back to God, right? And all of us, in some way or another, find ourselves all the time needing to come back to God. You know, life is so complex that in one area of our life we might be doing really well, and uh, then we, we, we wake up and we realize in other areas of our life, I've got a long way to go. And so, so in some way or another, whether it's, you know, our relationships or our finances or our jobs or uh, how we treat our kids or all these different things that are going on in our world, in our lives, uh, there's this need to constantly keep coming back. And we said uh, that coming back to God means several things, or returning to God means uh, coming back and giving God thanks, right? That's, that's one of the things you do when you come back to God, is you say, God, like, thank you. Thank you for, for loving me. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for breath itself and every heartbeat. God, thank you for all the ways that you care. Thank you for your son. There's just so many things that we want to like just return to God and say thank you for. And, and I hope this morning that as we sit here and we sing these songs together and we worship the Lord and we like let him be our focus, that we're also saying, God, thank you. Thank you. I need you. Every hour, I need you, God. Thank you for being there. Not only do I need you, but you are there. Like, like it would be bad if we needed him and he wasn't there, right? But we need him and he is there. And, and what, how, I mean, that's just something to, to, to appreciate about our God, that he is there for us. We also said returning to God uh, means repentance, and David mentioned that. It means like a change of our heart, change of mind, change of behavior, and we come to God and we go, God, I want to come back to you and I want to live my life for you and think like you do and act like you do and be more like Christ. I want to be made in the image of Jesus again. You know, I want to, I want to repent of of my selfishness in my own ways and turn back to you. Uh, that's what returning means. It means to give thanks. It means to repent. It means to come clean with God, right? To say, God, I, I just, I, I need you. <laughs> I just flat out need you, right? I, I'm a mess without you. And I need you really bad, God. And so uh, it, we also said last week that rip, uh, returning to God is personal, you know, it's a collective thing. It's a church thing. You know, we're called to sharpen each other, to encourage one another. We come together to study together. Wednesday nights is a great time to come together. We have some awesome worship, and we're digging into the Word of God together. So if you're not coming on Wednesday nights, come and grow with us. Eat with us. Eat from the Word of God with us, because it's a great time for us to, to, to get to know God personally, but to get to, God, to get to know God as a family, you know? Together, we need each other to help each other do that. Today, I want to talk about this. Returning to God, returning to the Lord means this. It means coming to your senses. Right? Everybody say that with me. Coming to your senses. And, and we need to do that, you know? I need to just come to my senses sometimes. We get so carried away and so distracted. And there's moments when in life when we just get it, you know? Like, like some, a light clicks on and you just kind of get it, you know? Whatever it is, different things in life. But when it comes to the Lord... Returning to him, it, it, it doesn't happen until we come to our senses and we kind of get it. We have that like aha moment where we go, oh, yeah, you know, that's what I've been missing or that's what I've been neglecting 
Or that's what I've gotten distracted from that I need to come back to. And so the returning to the Lord is about coming to our senses. Do you remember the commercial, the V8 commercial? The guy goes, oop, not going to add a V8, right? Remember that? Everybody remember that? If you're at least like maybe 40 years old, you might remember that commercial. Um, I could have had a V8, right? Because what? Because uh, he poured himself uh, a deadly drink. <laughs> and after sipping it, he realized, man, I could have had something healthy. <laughs> right? I could have had a V8. Whoa. You know, it seems like the older we get, <laughs> the more forgetful we get as well. Uh, man, I'm just so guilty of that. I don't know if I'm worse than everyone else or not. You know, your, old, your younger days have a way of catching up, don't they? Anybody hear me? <laughs> I mean, our, our, <laughs> our growing up days have a way of catching up when we killed things in our heads that we probably shouldn't have been killing. Uh, you know, and, 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 and now we pay for that, you know, and, and so many times I just forget. I just forget stuff. You know, I just forget why I went in a room. Am I alone? Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. You know, you go in there and you're like, why am I in here again? I got distracted, you know, I got distracted. You know, we misplace information like we misplace our keys sometimes. We're going to focus on this kind of thought, this, this, our brain and what our brains are about. And, and because coming to your senses is a, is a brain thing. And uh, we're going to talk about that. You know, we're in constant need also of, like, being reminded. Being reminded. Like, uh, you know, what, what, what are we in constant need of? Being reminded, right? To, to remember. Isaiah 55. Um, if you want to turn there, you can. Isaiah 55. We're going to look at this passage in the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet of God's, called by God to restore the nation of Israel. Right? In Isaiah's book, he's one of the major prophets, not because he's a big dog, even though he is a big dog, but because his book is longer. Uh, he's considered one of our major prophets. And in his book, he talks about lots of things, but some of the things he talks about that are big are like judgment and deliverance. And he also talks about the coming Messiah. But in Isaiah chapter 55, there's this, these few verses there I want to look at that go along with what we're talking about today. He's talking about finding our way back. You know, finding our, making our way back to God because we're so prone to wander. Right? We are. We just, we get so caught up in life and good things, bad things, all kinds of things. Just life. We get caught up. And, and that's what Israel constantly was doing, was getting caught up in their own things. And God would raise up a prophet to, to call them back. To him. And, and in verse 1 of chapter 55, it says this, come, he says, come, right? God says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Man, that's a beautiful verse, isn't it? I mean, come to the waters, you know, the living water. Come back to the one who can, you know, like give you the, quench your thirst better than anyone else or anything else can. Even V8, right? He says in verse 3, Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Right? God is saying, come back to me. Return to me. If you wander away, the only thing out there is destruction and lostness and death. But if you'll come to me, God is calling us, the living water, you'll find life. Right? I will make, he says in verse 3, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Everlasting is a long time. 
Right? Not a 10-year, not a 30-year fixed mortgage. He's saying, I will make an everlasting covenant with you from now until eternity. God says, I will commit to you. How awesome is that? Yeah, how much do we need that? Right? Something so solid that it's beyond this life. It, it, it lasts into eternity, and we can, we can have that now in this world, in this life as we live. We can grab onto something that is eternal because of what God has done for us. He says this, verse 6, go down to verse 6. He says, seek the Lord. These are our verses. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Right? We mentioned this last week because he's not always going to be available. One day, time will be no more. Christ is going to return, and you're not going to have an opportunity to come to him. It will be over. So he says, come while he is near. Look what he says, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake their ways, and the unrighteous their thoughts. Right? Move away from the things in this world that are killing you or will harm you or will drag you away, entice you, and destroy you. Move away from those things. God says, seek me while I may be found, while I am near. Verse 7, he says, let them turn, turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's the promise of God, that when we come to him, when we, like Isaiah says here, when we turn to the Lord, when we return to the Lord, he will have mercy on us. He loves us that much. He just says, just come to me. You know, just stop wandering in whatever area of your life you're wandering, wherever you've gotten hung up and led astray in your thoughts, your thinking, or wherever you've neglected the things that are most important, come back, find God, find mercy, find hope, right? He will freely forgive you. He will freely pardon you. God is always raising up like prophets and preachers to call us back, to remind us of the things that are most important in this world. Why? Because we so easily forget. I mean, we wander. We're so, we're so pulled in so many different directions. One of the most elusive and misunderstood attributes about the humanness of us is our memory. Okay, one of the most elusive and misunderstood human attributes is our memory. It's been described by lots of peoples and smart people, doctors, brain peoples, as like, uh, in some ways, like a filing system or like a computer, right? And some of our computers are slower than others, right? Amen to that? Yes. Some of ours are just gone dark screen altogether. <laughs> Blue screen. Click out of that. Called Nathan. So here you go. Raise your hands if you would, if, if you would with me. Raise your hand if, if you did this in the last month. Okay, are you ready for this? If you did this in the last month or this happened to you in the last month, raise your hand. You walked out of your house with a new shirt that still had the, the sticker on it. Anybody do that later? <laughs> yeah. You stop, it's right there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you forgot to feed the fish, raise your hand. If you forgot to flush the toilet in the last month, raise your hand. Wives, raise your husband's hands. I know. If you got your mail, right? We forget our mail or our medicine. Anybody forget your medicine in the last month? 
That's a daily thing. How many of you go, did I take my medicine today? <laughs> Get one of those boxes, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, if you forgot someone's birthday or anniversary, yeah. If you forgot your Bible today for worship. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> I got my cell phone, so it's on there, right? If you forget someone's name, anybody ever forget people's names? Oh, my God. Brain doctors say we forget for four reasons. Uh, there's a retrieval failure. <laughs> Our brains are like a dog sometimes. You know, you're supposed to go get stuff, bring it back. And sometimes that doesn't work. You know, un unable to find the file. <laughs> I have that problem a lot. Uh, uh, interference, too much going on. Just interfere, we can't think straight. There's too much going on in my head. Uh, failure to store, you know, maybe, you know, the... I do this a lot, somebody will tell me their name, and three seconds later, I don't even, I just failed to store it, you know, to remember it, you know. Uh, motivated, uh, motivated forgetting, like uh, we suppress things or, or we repress things, we don't want to remember, they were not pleasant. Um, memory, here, some things that, that people say about our memory. Mark Twain said this, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything, right? We all know that. Just tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. You just tell the truth. Right? A guy by the name of Steve Wright said this, Right now I'm having amnesia and deja vu at the same time. I think I've forgotten this before. <laughs> That's me. Every once in a while you should take a walk down memory lane. Never heard that. Memory is the first thing to go. Never heard that one? That was good. How about this? You never know the value of the moment until it becomes a memory. Who said that? Dr. Seuss. <laughs> when someone you love becomes a memory, that memory becomes a treasure. That's a good one. Uh, one of the key truths about memory is that it is unstable. That's something good to remember. Is that our memories are not stable. Our memories are the thoughts that we have of the past, and dreams are what we have for the future. You should have a good balance of both. That's a good important thought, isn't it? A good balance of memories and dreams going forward, right? And uh, this one, we didn't realize we were making memories. We just knew we were having fun. That's a good one. That's the one I like, right? You're just having a good time. Just living life with people. And, and before you even realize it, when it's over, it, it has become a memory locked in your mind. There's all kinds of things we forget. There's, uh, there's some things that we will never forget. Check out this slide. Here we go. So we, we no, nobody ever forgets. Well, maybe some of you have. <laughs> how to ride a bike, right? <laughs> you know how to ride a bike. Anybody remember, um, yeah, Pac-Man? Rock'em, suck'em robots. Rabbit ears, if you, you know, lived back then. Our rabbit ears are actually coming back. We have some in our house, now, right? Who wants to pay for cable, right? <laughs> when you can have 30 channels on rabbit ears. <laughs> they don't come in very good. But, uh, and that old telephone. Okay, good. That's beautiful. Things remember, things we don't remember. You know, we get, we get so confused and we get sidetracked so easily. Right? Our, our minds play tricks on us. They, they do weird things depending on what's going on. We, we forget one thing 
and we grab onto something else that's more more like urgent or more enticing to us or more appealing at the moment. And we forget that when we have this kind of like kids, you know, sitting in a pile of toys, you know, they're, they're so consumed by this one until they see that one. And then they're over here on this one. And, and, and we're just like that with, with life, you know, just grabbing onto stuff or, or you go, you know, to a buffet and you know, uh, this is what I'm going to have. And you get there and you go, Whoa, look at all this other stuff. I forgot. I love that so much. And, Pretty soon, you're on a diet. Um, you know, that's how that works, right? This, this, we're, we're so double-minded. It's so pulled in different directions. And double-minded, not necessarily like in a bad way or an evil way, but just double-minded in that uh, we're human and we're bombarded by lots of messages and they're coming into our minds through all kinds of means and ways. Like even right now, we're sitting in here, we're, 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 we just worship God, we got our minds focused on God, God's trying to speak to our hearts, but, but some of us, you know, our cell phone's buzzing in our purse or our pocket, some of us are thinking, are my beans burning down in the fellowship hall, you know, and all these other thoughts are, are, are trying to distract us, right, to pull us or to get our attention, to think about something else. You know, things, and, and we're human, and so our mind wanders in different ways. And what we try to do, or should do, is stay disciplined, right? Our job is to control and stay on top of our thinking, especially in times where we need to. There are times that we need to just, like, free ourselves and just be brainless for a little while and give our minds a rest. We, we have to do that, just get away from stuff. But most of the time, we have to stay on top of our thinking, right? Disciplined and responsible for what's going on in my mind right now. It's a call in a way to be focused and fixed on things that are eternal and things that are most important. Because if we don't, we will be pulled away. It's just the way it is. We just get distracted so quickly. Hebrews chapter 12, great passage of scripture. You know this thing so well. In Hebrews 12, the writer writes and he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud, a great cloud of witnesses. Just think about that for a minute. You know, we're surrounded by people who have gone on before us, people who are in it right now with us, and others will, that will come after us. But there is this large crowd of people who are in the battle just like us. You know, they're fighting through this just like we are. You know, we're not alone, right? We're not alone. Others have gone on before us and they have made it through. They were able to stay on top of, of what was going on in their minds and their heads. They didn't let things pull them aside. And now they're this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on, right? They're, they're there and, and they remind us that we are not alone. He says, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, look what he says, let us, what? Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, right? Because that's what happens. We get distracted. We get hindered. We get pulled aside. We get led astray. All these things that are coming up against us to get control of our thinking and our minds. And he says, you know, throw those things off. Don't be entangled by them. He says, let us run, the verse says, with perseverance or stick to itness, right? This, this sense of discipline. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, right? Generally speaking, God has a, a plan for us as his body, as his kingdom, but individually, God has a, a plan for you as well. And there are things that he has put here for you on this earth to accomplish. 
And, and, and the writer says, throw off anything that hinders you from accomplishing what God has for you. Get rid of anything that might entangle you and slow you down from staying fixed and focused on what God has for you. Right? And we have to take some ownership in that right? and responsibility in that and not let the things of this world pull us aside. He says, run unhindered, run unburdened, take those things off and run free, right? Undivided, undivided between the worldly things and the godly things. The things in this world that we, we have to be a part of because we're human and we're on the planet. But there's things that are godly that are far more important. And we always are weighing out the, the, the two as we live our lives and realizing that the eternal things are forever and the worldly things are temporary. And so we don't let ourselves get distracted, right? Look what he says there in verse 2. Fixing our eyes. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes focused on Jesus, right? That's what we do. We live on the earth with our minds and our hearts and our behavior fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Right? That's, what we, that's what we do. We, we, we have responsibility and discipline of the mind and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We don't let anything distract us from that. Right? Even though we live in the world, we don't let those, anything in the world distract us from the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, the one who authored it all and did it for us and showed us that it can be done and is living in us now to help us. So we stay zoomed in on Jesus, right? This life and in the life to come, we trust him and we stay focused in this life. So in Luke chapter 15 is this passage. If you want to flip there to Luke 15, great chapter that, that uh, Jesus is, is, is talking to um, his disciples and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the tax collectors. Look what it says there in verse 1 of chapter 15. The tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus as he was teaching. That's kind of a weird way to describe people, isn't it? I mean, we wouldn't do that today. Oh, look, the sinners are here. Right? That's not politically correct anymore. You know, you can get away with it in the Bible, but but if you were to stand up and go, look, the sinners are here, oh my, you would be in jail. Right? You'd be done. It'd be over with. He talks in this chapter about three different things. One is this lost sheep, another is a lost coin, and another is a lost son or the prodigal son. That's the story we're gonna get to. And uh, so if you're just looking at this, it's, it's really kind of cool because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are there and they're muttering in verse 2, chapter 15. They're muttering. You know, I just, this doesn't even sound like a good word. You know it can't be good if they're muttering, right? You know, behind, behind uh, his back, off to the side, they're whispering to each other. And here's what they're saying. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. That's what they're muttering. Look at this guy. Look who he's hanging out with. The riffraff. The sinners. Right. And he eats with them, too. Man, he's really bad. This Jesus guy. So Jesus tells them these parables, right? And he says, he starts with the first one in verse 3. He says, suppose one of you, right? So in other words, hey, you guys, make, let's pretend you have, you have these sheep, these hundred sheep, right? And, and one of them, you lose one of them. You know, you're with the sheep, and you're like, all of them are named, and you got them on, you're wandering through the fields, and they're eating and drinking and having a good old time, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, where'd Louie go? 
Louis! Louis doesn't answer, and so Louis's gone, and so don't you leave, doesn't, doesn't the shepherd then leave the 99 somewhere safe and goes and looks for that one, and when he finds that one, what, he celebrates, right? He has this party, because this sheep was lost, and now it's found, and then he says, this isn't about sheep, it's all about one sinner who gets saved. That's what the parable is about. It really isn't about sheep, it's just an illustration. The point is that one of God's children was lost, and now they're found, and God celebrates this. And then he says, suppose there's this woman. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins, and she loses one, and she sweeps the whole house until she finds it. When she finds it, she celebrates. And he says there's more rejoicing over, over one sinner who, who comes, who repents and comes back to God, who, who returns to the Lord, more rejoicing over that one sinner over, than over the 99 sheep that didn't wander. Right? And he's making this, this huge point about how God treasures you. How much he treasures us as people. Right? He loves us. Right? It's not about sheep and it's not about coins. And then he goes into this parable about this lost son. Verse uh, 11. We're going to read this together. Okay, ready? Here we go. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. 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 Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. While, uh, when he came near the house, he heard the music and he, and he saw the dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. His brother, your brother, has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he, was, he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is now found. What an awesome, what an awesome story, isn't it? That's me. That's me. I don't know about you, but that's me. That's me right there, the, the, the wandering son. And there's a lot going on here. You know, there's so many different perspectives going on here of the, the brother and the young son and the father and the servants and all that's happening. But what I want us to focus on is the son. I want us to think about the son because we're talking about returning to the Lord. And the son is the one returning to the Lord. Next week, in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about the, the, what you find when you get there. Right? The response of the father and all that the father has for you when you do return. We're going to get into that in the weeks to come. But right now, this, this, this prodigal son, this wasteful son who spends his money or his father's wealth so immaturely, you know, that's the focus today. And, and look, think about this. Look through those verses again with me. I'm going to just dig a little bit. First of all, he's the younger son. You know, he's got an older brother. You would think he would learn Something from the older brother. And sometimes it's the younger one who rebels and goes off on his own. And sometimes it's the older one. I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason to it. But this kid is the younger son. You would think he might be a little wiser after watching his brother get in trouble all the time. You know, you would think he would get it. Uh, that, that's kind of an amazing thing to me. That it's the younger son. You got to kind of, you know, we dog this guy, this kid, because of what he did and, and the decisions he makes with his mind, the choices he makes as the story unfolds are definitely not good. But at this point in the story, you, you got to kind of give him a little bit because it's like, man, this kid's got this entrepreneur spirit. You know, he wants to go out and do something cool. You know, that's, that's a good thing, right? I mean, we teach our kids. I hope you're teaching your kids stand on your own two feet. You don't need a man, and you, don't, you, you need to learn to stand, you're right? You need to be able to stand on your own two feet and, and go out and do what God has called you to do. That's what we teach our kids to do, right? So, so that's what this kid maybe in his mind is thinking. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to break away and be my own guy. I'm going to go do my own thing. That, there's not a lot of bad there. That's okay. His attitude is wrong, and that's what makes it evil. So he asked for his portion. That's kind of a bold move. Back in the day, that was not abnormal to give out the estate or, or those portions early. Nowadays, we wait, right? Dad and mom die, and they leave a will, and people get left stuff, right? A house to pay for, you know, stuff to take care of or stuff to liquidate or whatever. But back in the day, to, to give uh, out this part of the estate early is not uncommon. It happened. So that's not too weird. But for the son to boldly come to his father, the younger son, and say, Dad, I want my part, and he gets a third, because the older son gets two-thirds, and the younger son only gets one-third. And so he takes his third, and it says in the text, soon afterwards, so he thought about doing this. You know, this is something that kind of went on in his head for a while. Should I? Should I not? You know, am I going to take the risk? Am I going to take that step? Am I going to go for it? And up to this moment, I don't think there's a lot that is evil here. It's just a young man wanting to, to venture out. You got to, you got to, I think you got to respect that a little bit. He goes to a distant country. Okay, so he takes his dilute and he leaves the area, which is what we do when we don't want our family to know what we're up to, right? We go places where other people that know us can't see us in the dark. It's, so it begins to get wrong here. He goes to a distant country, right? 
far from family, maybe far from guilt, because in his mind, now we begin to see what he is up to. And what he's up to is he's going to squander it all in wild living. And it becomes very evil then. It's not, it's not a good thing he wants to do. It's a very selfish thing that he wants to do. This is all about me. I am the master of my future. I want my estate. Isn't that like the ultimate in selfishness? Dad, give me my part. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. Dad, all that you've worked for, give me my portion. I mean, that, that's like the ultimate in selfishness here going on at this kid. And so there's this famine in the land. He squanders it all in wild living. There's a famine in the land. He becomes in need, and he hires himself out, right? And so maybe this is, you know, he's hit bottom. He has nothing. There's a famine. He's starving, and he finally takes some initiative to do something for himself, and he hires himself out to a citizen, to a citizen of that country, complete stranger. And his job is go out there in the field and feed my pigs. For a little Jewish boy, that's probably not a good thing. And not only does he go out and, and feed the pigs, but in his need, the text says that he longs to eat the food that the pigs are eating, the pods. And the scripture then says, and fill his stomach with it, but the text says, but no one gave him anything. I don't think he can get much lower, right, than this. Poor kid who has now squandered all of his inheritance and lost it all, and he finds himself in complete need and desperation, probably about to die. No one gave him anything. It's a story of a young man who went from riches to rags because of selfishness because he was distracted by the things of the world. He took his eyes off of the things that were most important, and he let the things that were temporary in this world pull him apart and destroy his life. And verse 17 is the turning point. Verse 17 is the defining moment in this young man's life. Look at what verse 17 says. When he came to his senses, he said, See, that's the defining moment in this young man's life. Change is, is now in the air. He had to get to his lowest point, but, but what, he, what he came to was this moment that was about to define him. Either he was going to totally give up and die, or he was going to come to his senses. And what happens is things begin to change in his mind, things begin to change in his heart, and things are about to begin to change in his behavior. And it begins with the realization of his personal mess that he has made. See, up till now, he's been living at dad's, high on the hog, living on someone else's wealth. And now, he went out and tried to do something for himself, and he finds himself in this huge mess. And he comes to this realization that I must come to my senses. And here's what happens. David, come on. Here's what happens as he begins to realize his personal mess. Okay? It begins with coming to his senses, which is a huge part of, of this whole thing of returning to the Lord, because many people don't, right? How many times have you seen people get to that point in their life where they you see them, and they know it. I've got to make a change. I've got to get right. I've got to come back to God. And they choose not to. You know, they choose to just stay stubborn, Right? They don't want to admit that they did something wrong. They don't want to admit that, that they need God. And so they just continue down that road until destruction falls upon them and their life is no more. I've seen it happen in kids' lives. 
right, in people's lives. And it's a sad day when that happens. But this is a huge moment in this kid's life, you know? This young man who's now coming to his senses, he has to make a choice. And here's what happens in the story. It's a beautiful thing that happens, right? Here's what happens. The first thing that happens is this. See, coming to your senses means that he remembered who he really was. So if you can write in your Bible there, right next to verse 17, the son. He remembers that he is a son. He is a son of a father, a father who loves him very much. See, coming to your senses means that you realize that you are a son or a daughter of God's. And you come to your senses and you realize, I am not a child of the world, I am a child of God's. That is huge. That's huge. That's coming to your senses, realizing who you belong to. Second thing is this, he decides in the text, verse 18, to return. Right, the word return there under the word son. He decides to return to dad, right? Because dad, dad is where safety is. Because dad is where protection is. Because dad is where his identity is in his, in his family. And for us, it's in our God, right? It's in our God, our father. And he, he decides that he's going to return and, in, and the third thing is this, is that he admits, so write the word confess in your, in your margin there. He admits, I have sinned, I am not worthy. You know, he takes his personal ownership and responsibility for his own actions, and, he's, and he realizes, I have sinned against my father. That's what coming to your senses means, is that you realize that you've blown it. Don't make excuses, just come clean, right? Just come clean. I'm not worthy of you, God. I'm not. And we just come clean. God, I've sinned and I need you. I need you every hour, God, I need you. And we realize how much we need him. And the fourth thing is this. He got up and he went home. He got up and he started walking. Right? He walked home. And a whole bunch of good stuff happens when he gets there. After he returns, amazing things happen when we return. But this kid finally came to his senses, and he gets up, and he went home. Write the word home there, verse 20. See, the truth, the truth set him free and changed his behavior. And that change led to an eternal change for him. What an amazing thing. The biggest truth about this story, about coming to your senses, is not what God is able to do, okay? The, the biggest story, I mean, that's the, the glory of it all, that's the grace of it all, but for this story, the biggest truth isn't what God is able to do, because what God is able to do is there, it's solid, it's sure, it's not going anywhere. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, you can't do anything for it, it is grace, right? It is the power of God that is there, it's as solid as it'll ever be. But you and me, we got to come to our senses, right? We've got to come to our senses. That's on us. God is calling. God is urging. God is telling us that he loves us. Everything that he has is for us. He's in our corner. But we, we have to come home. We have to return. We have to do two things, realize and return. We have to realize, number one, that we have wandered from God. And then we got to be willing to return. Realize and return. That's what we do when we come to our senses. Father, we love you so much. And God, I pray right now as we think about 
this story and this truth about returning to you, God, that in some way in our own lives we'll, we'll realize there's an area of our life that we need to get right with you. We need to come to our senses. Maybe it's our whole life. Maybe we just need to come to you for the first time ever. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now as we sing this song to you, as we make decisions, God, that will honor you. And we'll come to our senses in one way or another, every one of us in this room, about what we can do or what we need to do to get right with you, Father. We love you so much. We give you thanks in Jesus' name.